1: Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e TD podcast where we go to many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake.
2: And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about anti-magic. Nathan, what the fuck is
1: anti-magic? It's like magic, but anti Okay, so more seriously, uh, anti-magic is basically magic that negates magic.
2: Yep. So before I start going into the readings and all that, I'm curious. What method or methods of anti-magic are you aware of?
1: Uh, There's some anti-magic sphere thing that you can cast to prevent spells and stuff, I think.
2: Yep, there is an Uh, anti-magic field spell is option number one. Oh? Yeah. I know for a fact that you've at least been made aware of a second one. I'll give you a hint. Think about mm, who you're talking to. Bingo. <laughs> that is correct, sir. The beholder's central eye also is able to admit a an magic
1: field. I, I, hm? I just have a big question here. Like it just popped in my head. So let's say yes. you kill a beholder and take its eye. Will you be able to use that as a weapon?
2: So that is very much something that could be debated based on the DM. So before we actually, so put a, a bookmark in that question. We'll get back to it before we. Analyze that. Let's actually talk about the exact mechanics of what 5th edition anti magic does. And then we'll go into various ways to use it. So I just wanted to ask what you're aware of and to even mention so, shocker, I'm a D nerd. This is known. However, I actually learned something new in my research for today's episode. I actually stumbled across an additional one that I did not know existed flat out. So I am. Extremely pleased that there is still new D and D information for me to find, and just goes to show there are so many books and so many things tucked away in obscure corners. That yay D and D. Anyway, so to start off this discussion on anti magic, I'm going to start with the anti magic field spell because a lot of the other various methods of anti magic that do exist in fifth edition usually say something something as in the anti magic field spell. So, it references the spell for the mechanics of how that effect works. So, the spell itself is an eighth level magical spell, meaning that it is only available to full spellcasters at 15th level. And it is only available for clerics and wizards, unless you get into shenanigans like, you know, a bard that is able to choose other spells, but for the most part, cleric wizard. And it is an action to cast, and it has a duration of Concentration up to an hour, and it has a range of a 10-foot sphere around yourself. So this is a self-ranged spell. So with that all being said, let's go into the actual text of the spell. A 10-foot radius invisible sphere of anti-magic surrounds you. This area is divorced from the magical energy that suffuses the multiverse. Within the sphere, spells can't be cast. Summoned creatures disappear, and even magic items become mundane. Until the spell ends, the sphere moves with you, centered on you. Spells and other magical effects, except those created by an artifact or a deity, are suppressed in the sphere and can't protrude into it. A slot expended to cast a a suppressed spell is consumed. While an effect is suppressed, it doesn't function, but the time it spends suppressed counts against its duration. Targeted effects. Spells and other magical effects such as Magic Missile and Charm Person that target a creature or an object in the sphere have no effect on that target. Areas of magic. The area of another spell or magical effect, such as Fireball, can't extend into the sphere. If the sphere overlaps an area of magic, the part of the area that's covered by the sphere is suppressed. For example, the flames created by a wall of fire are suppressed within the sphere creating a gap in the wall if the overlap is large enough. Spells. Any active spell or other magical effect on a creature or an object in the sphere is suppressed while the creature or object is in it. Magic items. The properties and powers of magic items are suppressed in the sphere. For example, a longsword plus one in the sphere functions as a non-magical longsword. Magic weapons, properties, and powers are suppressed if it's used against a target in the sphere or wielded by an attacker in the sphere. If a magic weapon, or a piece of magic ammunition, fully leaves the sphere, for example, if you fire a magic arrow, or throw a magic sphere at a target outside the sphere, the magic of the item ceases to be suppressed as soon as it exits. Magical travel, teleportation, and planar travel fail to work in the sphere, whether the sphere is the destination or the departure point for such magical travel. A portal to another location, world, or plane of existence, as well as an opening to an extra-dimensional space, such as that created by the rope trick spell, temporarily closes while in the sphere. Creatures and Objects A creature or object, summoned or created by magic, temporarily winks out of existence in the sphere. Such a creature instantly reappears once the space the creature occupied is no longer within the sphere. Dispel Magic Spells and magical effects, such as dispel magic, have no effect on the sphere. Likewise, the spheres created by different anti-magic spells don't nullify each other. Whew, that is a very, very long spell text. But, in summation, they go through every type of magic for all intents and purposes that can exist. Magic items, spells, magical effects, magical travel, and it just is flat out suppressed so the fact that it's not cancelled is actually one interesting detail of this particular spell because even though like the example they use is wall of fire so i'm just going to go with that because it's a good visualization if you have just a long wall of fire and then anti-magic field is cast then you walk through the area where the fire would be and there is no fire while within the anti-magic field. But if you keep walking past the line where that fire would be, then the fire does reappear after you passed. So that suppressed is a very, very important detail in the phrasing of this spell. So, just to throw out there for shits and giggles, Nathan, how would you try to get around an anti-magic
1: field if it was cast by an enemy? Walk around it? I don't know. <laughs> Uh so no I I know what you mean. So anti magic.
2: Thank you, Nathan. You have made my point. It's really fucking hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no but what I was thinking is that you could you you could try to set up like a bunch of spells around the guy and hopefully you have enough spell spell like since he can't magically attack you because of the thing, right? So the plan would be to just cast spells where he is at until the spell fades away, hopefully. And you could just hit him and get him that way.
2: All right. So that does make sense in theory, where it does get somewhat more complicated. The duration of the spell is concentration up to an hour, which is a hundred well, rounds up. of combat. So That's, um, yes, in theory, that is something possible that would be somewhat difficult in practice. On the kind I mean, of if silver you had lining, a I suppose. Or something, so. so it is a concentration spell. So the best way to really deal with the spell version of anti-magic is to just disrupt their concentration, to just hit them with something and hopefully get them to break their concentration. On the downside, because it is an 8th level spell, there's pretty decent odds that a spellcaster is aware of that weakness and may have something like the warcaster feat or just some way to make it diff- more difficult to break their concentration. But that really is kind of the best way to deal with it, because, yeah, you know, just attacking them with non-magical attacks is like the only thing that you really have available because no spells can target a creature in the area. So like just flat out no magic missile, they even specify. So you really are just limited to non-magical attacks. So you either have to fire an arrow at them, swing a weapon at them in the area. And it, oh, it's just a really, really dangerous, effective spell on the downside, though, because it is all magic in the area gets suppressed, that would include your own spell casting abilities. So the cleric and wizard or cleric or wizard, rather, who cast the spell would also be influenced. So a wizard who casts anti magic would be much more vulnerable. Because then that would cancel any mage armor that or sorry suppress any mage armor that they might have on themselves, they would not be able to cast the shield spell if they do get attacked. On the other hand, a cleric who casts the anti magic field is still extremely dangerous because they still are very likely to be wearing heavy armor they still have a lot of weapon proficiencies. So a cleric who is able to cast the anti-magic field spell is incredibly, incredibly effective. So with that being said, let's go ahead and move on. So we talked uh, just a couple of minutes ago about Beholder's anti-magic cone eye effect. So let's go ahead and just transition that way to pick that back up. So what is also different about the Beholder's version than the actual spell The spell is a sphere centered on the caster. The beholder's is a cone with a 150-foot range to it. So a 150-foot cone in front of whatever direction its central eye is. And because it is in front of the beholder, anything outside that cone, it's still able to use its magic, which is... A part of what makes Beholders so extraordinarily dangerous if their abilities are used correctly within, you know, interactions amongst each other. As, I mean, you all remember, the Beholder episode was very much one of the Remy Gushes About a Thing episodes. Love me some Beholders. So, if you do kill a Beholder and take out its eye, what happens to it? So, once again, this is something that is going to be just dependent on your choice as the DM. Do you make the choice of a creature's magic would fade away from the different things if it dies, or is it something that is intrinsic to the organ in question, and that as long as the organ is preserved in some way, then it might still be able to maintain that effect? And both of those... Uh, yes, please go ahead.
1: Well, personally, I think it's really cool to have that kind of uh, Medusa's head kind of effect when you have uh, powerful enemies, because it, it just adds a bit of legend and myth to a world to have that kind of thing, and it's a very nice thematic like reward for defeating the beholder. Absolutely.
2: Not to mention the fact that beholders are not a common creature in the world by any means, unfortunately but they're still common enough in Dungeons and Dragons that an argument could be made that it would be incredibly valuable for towns and cities to have like a desire to get their hands on one of these anti-magic eyes for themselves. Could you imagine how valuable it would be for a city to just have an anti-magic cone aimed at the city gate? Because when you have people walking into a city then that would just show it would suppress any illusions that are cast it would suppress any access to things like a bag of holding for that time since extra dimensional spaces are cut off during that time. It would make security really dangerously effective for anywhere within that potential hundred and fifty foot cone. Not to mention another area where that could be incredibly useful. Imagine in a throne room if you have the entire room in that hundred and fifty foot cone except where the royal family and the guards are. So they would be able to fire into the area of anti-magic with, you know, crossbows, bows, just non-magical weapons because anti-magic, but that would incredibly limit just potential dangerous things against the king. Not to mention the fact that even if, you know, someone were to try doing something like Charm Person or any of the various control type spells that exist, having royalty be able to just every so often be scheduled to just stand in the anti-magic cone and see, does their behavior change any? Do you feel any effects be suppressed? Anti-magic is insanely valuable to all levels of people, but especially to, you know, royals and noblemen and such. So having, like, a worldwide bounty on beholders to collect these anti-magic cones could be a hell of a story hook in its own right, And then you could even have the whole, you know, beholders themselves being furious at that fact because beholders are very much sentient creatures and having there be like a beholder uprising, for lack of a better phrase, I think I might know what my own next campaign is. That sounds like a lot of fun for me. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, So those are two of the more commonly known types of anti-magic. But... Those are not the only ones that exist. So with that being said, let me pull up a few tabs here. So I actually did mention a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about criminal justice, that there is a type of anti-magic that is used in one of the adventures to help keep a drow prison contained. So I finally was able to find where that was, and that was from Out of the Abyss. There is a set of magical wards that is set to inhibit spell casters and shield the area against scrying attempts. Spells cast within the pen have no effect, and any slot or magic item charge expended to cast such a spell is consumed. The wards don't suppress or negate spell effects that originate outside the slave pen. For example, a creature under the effect of an invisibility spell remains invisible when it enters. So there are a number of implications to this. So first off, because this is an official adventure, that would imply that this is a type of magic that just exists in D&D worlds, which would also be able to be extrapolated out that this is the type of magic that can exist and be used by a DM. So we talked a lot in the criminal justice episode that it's really, really fucking hard to actually keep any type of prison when magic users exist, because there is a lot of magic that exists around escaping from places. There is you know, teleportation, there's unlocking spells, there is, there's a lot of things, is the point. So having there be an area permanent version of anti-magic is incredible. Incredibly necessary in a world of magic if you want there to be any type of prison or prison system to exist. Because without anti-magic, y- you kinda just can't, and you'd really pretty much have to just kill criminal magic users, which technically is a route that a DM can choose to take, but well, that might be a little bit problematic. But but even besides that one, there's actually a couple others that are listed. In other places, so in uh, Water uh, Water Deep Dragon Heist, there's also a tower that has a different anti-magic effect. So it says, uh, the the interior of the tower is subject to a permanent anti-magic field spell. Consequently, no magic functions inside the tower. This effect was left behind by the tower's previous occupant, a wizard hermit who dabbled in wild magic, quote-unquote, and could no longer control it because of the anti-magic field the magic lights that normally illuminate the tower have been suppressed only a wish spell or similar magic can end at this anti magic effect holy shit so that is an entire other canonical permanent anti magic so again you now have the official word that it is possible to create a permanent anti magic field over an area because the the normal version of the spell is only that 10 foot radius sphere so To have the canonical writing that it is possible is just extraordinarily valuable to a DM to know is a thing that is possible. Plus, the fact that it even does mention only wish or similar magic can end it would also just mean then that a character could not use dispel magic in order to end the anti-magic field spell on this tower, because normally dispel magic is something that can target some spells although uh it is also interesting that because dispel magic would be targeted it wouldn't really work on anti-magic so that's also pretty damn nifty so uh actually sorry to let me backtrack for one moment very briefly uh in that uh drow prison scenario that i was talking about there is one other detail that is super important about that one Which is that it is also mentioned that some of the drow have tokens that allows them to cast magic in that area, but only those with said tokens can. So the fact that you not only have a giant area of effective anti magic, but the fact that you actually are able to have targeted anti magic is that much more effective. So going back to the royals' example, if you have the throne room enchanted with this type of anti magic, so the you know the royal family, the guards can. still cast magic but no one else can is that much more terrifying whether you want to rule that this is something that is harder to do or something that just has some kind of consequence like maybe to you know just borrow from some other types of tropes like maybe there's a ward stone that this is linked to that if it gets destroyed would then end the effect so then there's a target to try to end it or whether this is more just the you know, magical bubble type scenario, like the wards around around Hogwarts and Harry Potter, you could certainly do something like that. Uh, in all honesty, wards are a subject that are of incredible interest to me in general, and is something that I've actually homebrewed a lot. Like I actually have a document of, I don't know, 20 pages or so of just rules on various types and styles and costs of wards. So, maybe that's something I'll even just talk about as a homebrew episode at some point in the future. But I just find that whole subject fascinating. Anyway, anti magic. So, yes, yeah, so we have uh, the spell, we have the uh, beholder eye, we have the drow prison, we have the anti magic field in the tower. Now we come across the one that I did not know about. So, in the new ish adventure, Divine Contention, there is another form that again until literally today i flat out did not know existed and that is the anti-magic crystal anti-magic crystal creates a 200 foot radius sphere of anti-magic as in the anti-magic field spell centered on the crystal uh blah 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 uh, crystal has 13 ac 27 hit points and immunity to poison and psychic damage and uh, there's also a uh, just description sidebar, a six-foot-tall glowing blue crystal stands in the middle of the chain. So, a six-foot-tall glowing blue crystal that emanates a 200-foot radius sphere of anti-magic. This, this is amazing to me. This gives you as a DM an, a large area of anti-magic. And... It creates an object of crystal which is not exactly known for its super high durability and the fact that it even gives you stats to just tell you that this is an attackable object is perfect and this is something that as is a DM can take if you want to have a magical prison of some sort then this gives you 200 foot radius so a 400 foot diameter circle is a pretty significant area of effect. So if you have one or more of these crystals scattered about some kind of complex, this gives you exactly what a DM could use in order to make that more of a thing in their world. Because one of the big dangers of D&D, as we always talk about, are the magic users. So having this canonical item now is just fantastic. So, those are all of the various methods of anti magic. So, just to throw back to you for some fun, Nathan, what uses besides the ones I've talked about before do you see for just using anti magic in the world?
1: Well, I don't know, but I I, I, I was thinking like you could have uh, really weird stuff like, um, for example, you have a bunch of luddites, so you you know luddites, vote for magic, and <laughs> essentially they 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 um pick a couple people to. Basically, imagine they, they go through the trouble of trying to, like, this was the one spell that, okay, to wipe out the sin so that we may live in peace. And it's like, okay, okay, <laughs> gets, gets the anti magic stuff. It's like, okay, every day you got to cast this to keep the bad magic away. It'll give you coronavirus. Uh- <laughs> God damn it, Nathan.
2: <laughs> but in all seriousness, like, magic is very dangerous. So considering the fact that there is, you know, devastation possible with high level magic, when you think about, you know, the various fire spells that exist, the mind control spells that exist. Honestly, I love magic, but living in a world of magic, if you don't have significant amounts of it would suck. So it totally makes sense then. That there might very well be some villages or even cities if they could just get any of these methods set up to just have there be no magic within the walls of the city. And that honestly would make a lot of sense, because if you do have all of that, why would you want to leave yourself vulnerable to all of those things? Or you could also just have the more scaled down version. If you want to have some kind of important negotiation between, you know, two contentious parties, whether that is just disagreement or war or what have you, having a permanent anti-magic zone in a room would make a lot of sense for the sake of negotiation, because you then know that magic won't be used to attack each other. Magic won't be used to, you know, uh, put a geese or charm person or dominate or any of the various just that magic that does exist in the world just to not have that be possible during such a negotiation could be massively advantageous for the sake of diplomacy. So, the in summary, the anti-magic field spell is an incredibly useful powerful defensive feature in the spells of Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. But the sheer existence of area-of-effect anti-magic is something that can shape the world.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Two stars, as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we a chat with cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at RefWake Podcast, on Facebook, as RefWake, and on Reddit, on subreddit, r slash RefWake Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riff,
2: Andy, rules at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels.